Welcome to the Hip Hop Top 10 Podcast, ranking the best in rap music and culture. I'm your host, Matt Fish. Started from the bottom, now our whole team here for Hip Hop Top 10 Podcast Episode number 2, talking about the top 10 Drake songs of all time this week. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you hit us up online via our website, hiphoptop10pod.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you're listening to your free podcasting material these days. And give our Facebook page a like over at facebook.com forward slash hiphoptop10pod. Let's talk about him. The sixth god, Drake. Is there a scenario where he is considered one of the greatest rappers of all time? I'm just going to put that question out there because when you're talking about Mr. Graham's legacy, that really is the last hurdle, I think, to get over. Mainstream success, pop rap crossover. I mean, there's nobody better. This is a guy who has multiple Grammys, a stable of Billboard chart-topping hits, including the likes of God's Plan, Nice For What, in my feelings, nonstop, I'm upset. That's just off a of Scorpion that came out earlier this year. If you consider from 2016 onwards with views, more life, and that massive LP that dropped earlier this summer, nobody produces rap hits that galvanize the mainstream music conversation quite like Drake. But then why isn't he as high up in the GOAT conversation? You know, how is Kendrick Lamar seemingly so much further ahead of this guy that K-Dot's music 20, 30 years from now is going to carry so much more historical significance than Drake's? Why is that? His detractors usually point to stuff like underwhelming lyricism, a monotonous, repetitive flow on a lot of his tracks. He can't be considered the genre's undeniable king, but can he though? I think that mainstream success used to be the end-all and be-all for a lot of older artists that we will be discussing on this podcast in the future, such as Puff Daddy, The Notorious B.I.G., and so on. They managed to hold, I think, a little more of their street cred. You know, rising from relative obscurity, Drake had a mixtape in 2006 called Room for Improvement that really showcased his raw talent. His marketability at that point was never in doubt. Goes from being, you know a star on this team drama in Canada, Degrassi, the next generation, to 2009 So Far Gone, which was his real beginning of superstardom. That happens in less than 10 years. Becomes the heir apparent to Young Money Entertainment's throne. Gonna take that distinction from Lil Wayne. And frankly, if Drake and Nicki Minaj don't show up at the end of the 2000s, does Young Money Entertainment still exist in the powerhouse form that it does today? I think from a general point of view, the question is this. Can you have both? The commercial success and the respect from the head culture out there, the so-called true hip-hop fans, right? Commercial success, huge financial windfalls from being that crossover force, and unstoppably so in Drake's case, does that automatically buy you legend-type status? Can you be so good at pop rap that even the staunchest of hip-hop heads can't ignore what you've done for the music, for the culture, or... Will that person, in this case Drake, regardless of his success level historically and even 20, 30 years from now, always be relegated to wallflower status because real MCs need to take center stage? Maybe Drake's music more akin to the dessert you have after a hearty main course, right? Lighter, maybe less substantial, but that doesn't mean it's less memorable. 
and it doesn't mean that it's less good or less effective or less historically significant. It just means it's activating different taste buds, you know? You're not necessarily putting his music next to somebody like Kendrick or next to somebody who may have a little more traction in that GOAT conversation this century, but you can't deny that as that tasty treat, Drake's tracks really go down nice and smooth. On that note, let's roll. Top 10 Drake songs of all time. Let's count them down. Share your thoughts, opinions, rants about this list, alternate picks if you want, over at facebook.com forward slash hip hop top 10 pod. Leave us a voicemail as well via the Anchor app. Details on how to download and do so over at anchor.fm. Getting it rolling here with number 10, it's Take Care, Rihanna and Drake. That to me is almost worth a podcast in and of itself. Their relationship, their chemistry, their vibe as a music couple, both on and presumably away from the mic. You know, they were a romantic couple once. We all know that. We all remember those glorious, glorious TMZ days. Just sitting on the edge of your seat, waiting for the next batch of drizzy, riri gossip. Hold on. I'm being told that might just have been me. But anyways, <laughs> Drake actually said recently, by the way, he wanted to start a family with the R&B singer. So that would be an interesting parenting situation if it ever comes to a fruition there. But back to the song, Take Care. It is arguably their best collab ever. I think the best showcase for their chemistry, not just as a music duo, but as that sort of flirtatious foil to one another. And I really do think that Rihanna brings out the best in Drake whenever they do join forces on a particular track. You look at other examples like What's My Name, Work, more recently, uh, Always a good time and always very smooth and understated, I think, in terms of uh, delivery, especially from Drake. You've got that in spades here, running alongside that super memorable refrain from Rihanna. You know, if you let me, here's what I'll do. I'll take care of you. It's a vibe. It's an atmosphere. It's an emotional state, and you really feel that connection between the two of them. I mean, I'm sure he would have liked that if Rihanna take care of him. Does he need taking care of? Macho Drake would say no. History says maybe. So take care at number 10. All right, for number nine, we're going back to, well, just a few months ago. That big Scorpion release giving you nice for what in this spot. Maybe Drake's best dance floor filler in a while, and he's written more than a couple of those in his day. From the motto to one dance to two good and beyond, he and his production team over at OVO definitely have an ear for the kind of hooks that mainstream audiences will instantly love, and such is the case here. This really high-energy cut uses that tasty AF Lauren Hill sample as a backbone for the rapper to really stretch his legs and step outside the confines of his normally more melancholic lyrics. I think I can say that, right? at least sadder lyrics for the most part. I mean, over the course of this pod, we are really gonna separate Drake into three distinct personas. We have sad Drake, we have happy Drake, and we have sort of sad and happy Drake at the same time. <laughs> we kinda can't decide. He's happily sad Drake, as it turns out. Hey, listen, after the summer he had, he may have license to be happily sad, I suppose. All of that financial success, those hit singles, but then you got the push of T-Dis, You've got the baby mama coming out. I'm sure his team 
was probably planning for a smoother rollout of that news. So you go from being a pop rap king to this guy who gets eviscerated in a diss track and gets framed as a deadbeat baby daddy. Um, Not necessarily the vibe you want for Drake, but hey, at least he can just envelope himself in those amazing dance floor vibes, courtesy of Nice for What. By the way, Murder Beats on the production here, which is really, really amazing. You know, I first heard this when it was released as a single on Spotify before the album dropped, and I said, well, that's more like it. Thanks, Drake, for bringing us something that wasn't necessarily as boring or as repetitive or as just stayed with, you know, current rap culture. I appreciated the flavor on this one a lot. So, nice for what? In at number nine. All right, going back to the Take Care album for number eight, gonna group cameras and good ones go interlude together, although they might not be the same track, depending on what version of the album you have, be that CD, vinyl, streaming service. So do take care to listen to them both together because that's where you're gonna get the most affecting emotional impact, I think. The two tracks together really have this pointed commentary about them concerning celebrity and the emptiness behind that kind of public facade that can exist, especially when you take it in the context of Drake's career. He has this meteoric rise to superstardom. Does that leave him longing for some sort of deeper human connection? Not just with ex-girlfriends, of which there are many in Drake's lyrics, and we're gonna continue to talk about that as the list goes on, but even his fan base, there really is this sense that he's trying to scream out and prove to them that behind all the trappings of fame and success and even excess, he's still just the same regular guy. Now, is that a fair argument to make? Your mileage may vary with that answer, but the lyrics don't lie here. One of my favorite stretches, and I quote, only on camera, only on camera, don't listen to the lies, I swear they all lies, you know I could be your knight in shining armor all tires. You know, not only a great turn of phrase at the end of that line, but there really is this sense of longing to break out of that routine, to break out of that, like I said, empty feeling facade of fame. You know, Drake has always had an interesting relationship with fame, what it does to his macho exterior, what it does to his masculinity, what it does to his mystique as a hip-hop Lothario who is seemingly weighed down with all of these psychological burdens, you know, really conflicted, really interestingly so, I might add. So, cameras, good ones go interlude, uh, one of the better representations of conflicted Drake, happily sad Drake, as I said before. All right, coming in at number seven, we have Hold On, We're Going Home, that beautifully sexy R&B style track featuring a Majid Jordan feature that complements the instrumental really well along with Drizzy's rhymes. And there was also a Shutter Pitbull feature on <laughs> a Top 40 re-release, but we won't talk about that. Now, there might be a few people out there listening to this episode who scoff at this pick, but let's be real for a second here. It was... One of those early top 40 hits for Drake that really did catapult him towards even bigger superstardom and even more mainstream chart dominance, this coming before the days of Views, More Life, and so on. It also really captures 
Drake as this very smooth operator in an R&B landscape. He kind of tries to take a page out of R. Kelly's songbook here. R. Kelly being a guy he also surpassed in terms of top 10 hits on the hip-hop and R&B charts, by the way, with this song. So, turning on the charm, romantic flair, like I said, really smooth synth vibes here, really sexy vibe for Drake, and almost creating this new persona, right? Where Drake knows that he might not be good for the woman slash women he is singing to in this track. But hey, let's hold on. We're going home. Let's just do it anyway, right? Um, There is this very mysterious... I don't even want to call it a bad boy image about Drake. But if we talked about happy Drake, sad Drake, happily sad Drake. Let's talk about happily mysterious Drake as a potential fourth construct in the rapper's arsenal he is a man of many faces in terms of his music i'll say that and hold on we're going home while it might be a little poppy for a lot of the heads out there listening i am gonna hold steady here put it in at number seven just for its commercial success by the way before we move on quick shout out to the miami vice style music video very very cool very neon-y very 80s and very nostalgic Coming in at number six, we have Look What You've Done, once again from Take Care. And yes, we are pulling a lot of songs from that album, but don't worry, it's for good reason. Maybe the best work Drake has done in one shot on one long-form release. Now, I've talked a lot about albums on this podcast, my previous online show as well. Lots of people may also look at that and say, well, the album format's kind of dead. Does anyone actually care about albums? Does anyone sit and listen to an album from front to back anymore in the age of playlist curation in Spotify, Apple Music, etc.? Kind of doing that work for you. I would argue that Take Care is almost better off digested as a one album sitting. You're going to go for 45 to 50 minutes from top to bottom and really get into Drake's psyche from all sides. And look what you've done is a big part of that. It's a delicate, low-key, incredibly touching track where he pays tribute to his mother, Sandy, his grandmother, Evelyn, and his uncle, Steve, for their help in his upbringing, for shaping him as a man, as an artist, and it really is a heartfelt uh, piece of Drake lyricism. And I would use this as a counter, too. To the people out there who say Drake can't write emotionally affecting songs anymore, I don't necessarily know it's a lack of skill. Um, I just don't think the mainstream success that he's had and just the demand for the recreation of that formula time and again really is conducive to him stretching his legs like this and putting something similar to Look What You've Done down um, on his next album, putting it down in the studio like this. So... um, I really encourage people to go back and listen to this track, not only in the context of Take Care, but in the context of an album experience. I think it really does help um, sort of bring to light uh, different emotional responses than one might have if you're just listening to it as a one-off song or as part of a playlist collection. Oh my goodness, we are already halfway through this list, counting down the top 10 Drake songs of all time. A quick recap, at number 10, we had Take Care, number 9, Nice For What, number 8, Cameras, Good Ones Go Interlude, number 7, Hold On, We're Going Home, and at number 6, we just talked about it, Look What You've Done. Moving into the top 5 now with one of the most memeable pop culture moments of the decade, it is Hotline Bling, and the track that kicked off Drake's 
unprecedented run of chart-topping dominance circa 2016 till now. Produced by 1985, the instrumental is definitely my favorite part of this song just because it's gorgeous. I mean, what else can you say? Glittering, neon-soaked atmosphere, just a beautiful backing track for Drake. And it's no coincidence that this song became his highest charting single as a lead artist, peaking at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. It was then surpassed by One Dance, which mainstream success-wise has become the biggest hit of Drake's career. But back to Hotline Bling, in an interview with Billboard Magazine 1985 said, quote, I was in my car listening to a satellite station that plays lots of smooth rock deep cuts and the original song, Why Can't We Live Together, from Timmy Thomas came on. By the time I got home, I had basically made the beat in my head. There's a thing he knows how to do on my beats that connects with an audience so well, and the rest was history. One more thing about Hotline Bling, of course, the music video, one of the most memeable moments of the 21st century so far, I think, at least from a music and pop culture standpoint. Everything from Drake uh, slicing pizza to hitting a tennis ball with a tennis racket and so much have been superimposed on his dad dance moves in the music video. Those have become legendary. The song has become legendary and it takes its rightful place on this list at number four. Five. Number four, speaking of 1985, is too much. Going back to Drake's third major label album, Nothing Was the Same, produced not only by him, but Sampha, who is one of my favorite artists of the 21st century. If you're not familiar with his R&B stylings, get on the streaming services, get on YouTube, and sample some of his work, because one of the great artists working today, in my opinion. Now, the magic here lies in Drake's ability to get introspective with his lyrics on top of, again, a very soulful, very laid-back, very atmospheric beat. He's grappling with anxiety in the lyrics, not just from being famous, but as he continues to push himself to become one of the genre's most respected talents, something that he has always struggled with. One of my favorite lines, and I quote, most people in my position get complacent, want to come places with star girls, and they end up on them front pages. I'm quiet with it. I just ride with it. Moment I stop having fun with it, I'll be done with it. So painting this picture of somebody who's anything but complacent, but he doesn't necessarily seem to be enjoying this pursuit of greatness, you know, very stoic, almost joyless. There's a really interesting dichotomy between the man that Drake wants his fan base to think that he is, wants music critics even to think that he is, and the person that really does come out in the prose on his record. So too much a direct reflection of that. And I also want to say too that Drake has sometimes been called by people, including myself, in private discussions with uh, music enthusiast friends of mine as uh, somebody who sort of puts on the faux deepness. But I would use this track as a perfect example of a counter-argument in that case. He really does go to the depths of his being and really reveal to listeners not only a little bit about his process, but a little bit about how that process makes him feel on the day-to-day in terms of pursuing that legend status in hip-hop. He really does go the, the extra mile instead of just scratching that sort of level below the surface. So too much coming in at number four. Top three material kicking us off with the bronze medal position is Best I Ever Had. Now, we're going way back in terms of Drake's discography here. It was his first massive hit. 
inspired by Nebi. If you don't know who Nebi is, his on-again, off-again flame, who is supposedly also the subject of Hotline Bling, which we covered a few minutes ago. He detailed their sort of relationship in a Toronto radio interview by saying, quote, she was just the best, the best woman that... I I ever had, period, I guess. She represented everything about the city that I loved. So I'm not sure if that's a direct compliment, a bit of a backhanded compliment, sort of tying her to the place that he grew up, whether or not that's old news or not. If we're talking about representation, Best I Ever Had not only stands out as Drake's best pre-2016 crossover effort, we're talking before Hotline Bling, before One Dance, but also as this very specific moment in time where he, along with Nicki Minaj, I think, transitioned over to being the creative force that upheld Young Money Entertainment's reputation as one of the most influential labels in hip-hop history. And don't kid yourself, they're still churning out great records from younger artists. If you want to give Birdman and company credit for one thing, and one thing only uh, in terms of Young Money's reputation, as a hip-hop entity it is, they do have this knack for finding young artists and not only that, but giving them the room to grow and the room to succeed on the biggest stages in music. Drake was able to do that with Best I Ever Had and clearly it laid the foundation for a career that at the time maybe not everybody knew that he had in him, but the powers that be at Young Money certainly gave him the room and the distribution and the platform to take that next step and become the superstar that we know him uh, as today. All right, now we come to the runner-up track on the list of top 10 Drake songs of all time. It is Marvin's Room, named after Marvin Gaye's studio where the recording session took place. But it's also a very emotional and possibly the angriest track from a popular subsection of Drake's work where he vents about loneliness, the girl that got away, and why she should come back to him. The trippy, bass-heavy beat really underscores that feeling of drunken instability as well. He wanders around this nightclub, reminiscing to this girl on the phone, and also diving into the deepest, darkest corners of his own psyche. If the decision had been left up to Drizzy, by the way, Marvin's room may have been left on the cutting room floor during the assembly of the Take Care album. However, Noah 40 should be pushed back and made Maybe the main reason that this track has become one of the most respected in Drake's catalog. He told Vibe, quote, I challenge Drake when it comes to decision making. He didn't want to put Marvin's room on Take Care. And I was like, bro, F you. You've got to put this on there. It's a moment, end quote. It really does feel like that in listening back to this song and putting it in context with the rest of Drake's work. It sort of sums up his personality as a rapper, as an artist. He's going to be a little more touchy-feely about certain stuff. He's not out here to necessarily stunt all the time with his rhymes. He's here to really get to the heart of what's bothering him, what he's struggling with in his life, and kind of the loneliness. We've talked about it already, but how empty that facade of fame must feel to him sometimes, especially... As someone who's an out-and-out heartthrob and has the attention of women just thrown his way all day, every day from each corner of the globe and social media. So Marvin's Room coming in at number two on the top 10 Drake songs of all time list. We have reached the pinnacle, the top of the mountain. The best song of Drake's career, according to this podcast, is Know Yourself 
from If You're Reading This, It's Too Late, one of the less flashy tracks from that album, but Know Yourself makes good on the promise in that title. Drake knows exactly where he comes from, knows where his sweet spot is, excuse me, as a rapper, and most of all, knows how to put it all together in an instantly relatable and easily accessible package. He effortlessly lays down slinky vocals over top of a brooding, almost menacing sounding trap beat and positions himself as both a lover and victim of that drug called fame, making him a target for both artists and pundits in the hip hop world. And judging by the lyrics, he won't let anybody forget it. Here's a quote from one of the passages in the song. Ends want my spot and don't deserve it. I don't like how serious they take themselves. I've always been me. I guess I know myself. Shakiness, man. I don't have no time for that. That said, during an early section of the song, crafting a biting mission statement of not only what he sets out to do on this song, but what he sets out to do as an artist with every new track from beginning to end. There's also a very noticeable Toronto connection in the lyrics that he admitted to the fader as an inspiration, but it came from a pretty unlikely source. He told the magazine, and I quote, I always used to be so envious, man, that Wiz Khalifa had that song, Black and Yellow, which was just a song about Pittsburgh. Like the world was singing a song about Pittsburgh. I was just so baffled as a songwriter at how you stumbled upon a hit record about Pittsburgh. Like your city must be elated. They must be so proud. And I told myself over the duration of my career, I would definitely have a song that strictly belonged to Toronto, but that the world embraced. So, Know Yourself was a big thing off my checklist." End quote. Top drawer pop aspirations or not, Know Yourself is effective purely as a rap song, but also as a nod to Drake's tireless work ethic, indefatigable drive, and it definitely earns its spot at number one. Thanks so much for joining us this week, helping us count down the top 10 Drake songs of all time. Make sure you weigh in with your comments, thoughts, rants, and picks for songs that we left off this list over at www.hiphoptop10pod.com. Also hit up our Facebook page. Let us know what you think in the comments section. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcasting material for free. Check back for a brand new top 10 list next week. We'll see you then.